Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Our guest today is Brett Lavender, and we are going to talk about the important skill of communication and language and how that is, in some ways, fundamental to living our best life. This episode is a little bit longer than normal. We just got into a great conversation about the subtlety and nuance of language and communication. And that is definitely one of my passionate subjects. So we just really got into it and started talking a lot about it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we start, if you are getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast and you want to help support it, think about writing a review in iTunes. It really does help people find the podcast or share the podcast with a friend. I really do appreciate that. And it really does help the Addicted Mind podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone, let's start this episode. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Minds. Our guest today is Brett Lavender, and we are, we've already been talking already, but we're going to talk about language, communication, and I guess just really being the master of our own mind, right? Correct. Brett, introduce yourself. My name is Brett Lavender, and the name of my company is The Persuasive Lion, and there's a very specific story behind why I called my company The Persuasive Lion uh, as a result of a pretty challenging upbringing. 
I really, really identified with the story of the Lion King. Right, right, okay. Yeah, and the reason that I called it the persuasive lion is because there's a very fine line between persuasion and manipulation. Yeah. They're very closely related behaviors. However, the intention is different. So when I am using persuasion as a craft, I am saying and doing things to intentionally shift your behavior or your reactions to things in your best interests or in our mutual best interests. And when I'm using the art of manipulation, I'm doing the same exact thing, but the intention is just for my own personal best interest. It doesn't really take into account the other, I guess, the other person. Exactly. So the persuasive line is very near and dear to my heart because as a, an alpha male lion that I like to consider myself, having gone through the experiences that I went through makes it very challenging to communicate with the other animals in the natural world. Right, right. And a lot of my program is based on comparing humanity to the jungle or the forest. Right. And being able to communicate to all these different people, creatures, animals, and we're all different. Absolutely. We think we're the same. We think we're the same, A, because we're humans, right? B, because we speak the same language, at least in America, right? Right, right. We speak this language. So we very unnaturally assume that we're just going to understand each other. But if I use, for example, dogs, right? And they're domesticated, so that's different. Dogs are different than other animals in the wild world. But even as it relates to that example, a Doberman Pinscher is a very different kind of a dog than a Chihuahua. And a Chihuahua is very different than a Golden Retriever or a Poodle, right? Different everything. Different levels of aggression, affection, trainability, lifespan, diet, everything. So why would humans be any different? Right. We're all different. That's right. Very different. Now, if you look at the natural world, when do you ever see a rhinoceros communicating with a chimp? Never happens. From birth to death. Right. The only interaction that different species of life have in the natural world, in the real world, is kill or be killed. Yet right. we're living in a very unnatural melting pot of all different species of human forced to communicate with one another. And the only thread that runs through all of us that's the same is instinct. Right. That's all we have together. Language financial background, educational background, religious, spiritual background, physical background. We are totally different species forced to interact with each other socially and professionally. And I would imagine sometimes our instincts aren't always accurate, aren't always in the best services ourselves when we when we look at language and communication. Yeah. Instinct is instinct. You know, like I said, there're certain things that we don't control. For example, Right now, even though we're virtual, there are a thousand communications going on between us. You're, you're right. listening to the tone, the melody, the timbre of my voice, right? You're, you're watching and evaluating, whether you realize it or not, my facial expressions. Yep. The only thing you can't see is my eye contact, right? My dilation or 
expansion of my pupils, which is also a thing. Okay. Right. The retina is as unique to a human as it is the fingerprint. Wow. Yeah. So we react to these things and we just, it's like the heart beating. We just don't control it. We're just going along. So let's, let's go back a little bit because communication yeah. and, and language is your passion, right? Yeah. How did that come about for you? Why was that so important to you? I'll give you the abridged story. I'm an only child. And by the time I was born, all four of my grandparents had already passed away. So I never got to know wow. a grandparent. My mother's brother, who was my only uncle, passed away when I was two weeks old. Wow. A lot of loss already. Yeah. Well, it, gets, it gets deeper. When I was six, we were living in Queens in, in New York, and we randomly picked up and moved to the wealthy suburbs of Philadelphia. And shortly after we moved, right after my sixth birthday on Halloween, <laughs> my father was found in his car a mile from my home with a bullet through his head. Oh, my goodness. To this day, undetermined as to whether or not it was self-inflicted or I know he was involved in some organized crime and really, really not such good business associates. And so that happened. Wow. And so I grew up in the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the suburbs of Philly. It was called the Main Line, being one of the poorest kids. And my wow. mom kept me there because the school district was just bar none. It was amazing. Right. Graduated high school. Went to Hofstra University on Long Island for a year. Decided I actually wanted to move and go to UCLA. So I moved home to find out that my mother was diagnosed with terminal liver cancer. And I was told that she would live for about a year. So the doctors said, hey, listen, make this worth it because you have one year and we can't fix this. Oh, my goodness. She died in three months in my arms, alone in a hospital room. And there's a lot more to the story of how I ended up back at the hospital that night. But luckily, I ended up back in the hospital. And my mother literally died in my arms, alone, at 1 o'clock in the morning. Wow. And so at 19 years old, as a Jewish kid, there's always somebody, you know. There's always somebody to say, hey, listen, you're a part of our tribe. You're a part of our family. We got you. There was nobody. You were alone. And so I ended up in a very precarious situation. To sum it up, after my mom died, I ended up having an offer from a couple that knew my mom through friends to have me come and stay with them. This is right after my mother died. That turned out to be a horrible situation as well. I put all my money, the money that my mother had left me in life insurance, in their name because I was going back to school. And if I was going to be on hardship scholarships, I couldn't have that kind of money in my name. So I put it in their name. Oh, boy. Well, the wife turned out to be literally textbook fatal attraction to me. Oh, my And goodness. the husband turned out to be a raging cocaine addict who took every single penny and shoved it up his nose. And so at 21, I ended up basically on my own, 100% on my own. And so therein lies the reason for what happened to me. I knew that if I didn't become this guy, right, I was dead. You had to survive. I had to be funny. I had to be charismatic. 
I had to be engaging. I had to be interesting. I had to be the guy. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, I started, you know, I've been in the event business for, for many, many years. And so I was always in front of an audience. And so I just started watching the way people were reacting to me in terms of how I spoke, what facial expressions I made, how I looked at them in their eyes, how I used my hand gestures. And it dawned on me, the entire machine is the language. And the, the remote control for the machine is between your two ears. Right, right. And so I started studying humans and how they would react to me when I said this this way or I said that that way. And over the course of decades of my own self-education, I trained hundreds of speakers and communicators. And then it dawned on me that I can now use this to train civilians who are not speakers and not performers and not professionals, but are actual just real humans who need a better grasp on how to communicate with their boss or their employees or their coworkers or their family, wife, spouse, husband, kids, siblings, whomever. And as I went through this process, it sadly, sadly became very aware that we are lost in terms of communication, thus the concept of the lost languages. Yeah. The lost languages. And to be honest with you, Dwayne, th this has been happening since way before COVID. Since the onset of technology has allowed us to hide behind a screen. But then COVID came along, and literally that was like the final blow. Yeah. That forced behind a video screen and allowed us to communicate in ways that are so not human that don't resonate you know you and i are speaking virtually right now but there's no pheromones going on here right right there's yep. no atmosphere no energy there's no connectivity there's no electricity there are certain crossovers that we're experiencing but a lot of them are not crossed over yeah you do lose some stuff as you talk virtually and and all that non-verbal language so going back a little bit it sounds like for you this study of, of language and human interaction you had to do this to to survive in, in, in that time. And then as you've moved through this, it's also what I, as our previous conversation, became enriching to you and enriching to others. Because like language is critical for my belief, human connection. You know, I know a little bit about your background because I read about you. And so it's interesting because for as much loss as I've experienced, the thing that really turns me on and floats my boat is giving. Yeah. Is the giving is the getting. It really is. It almost feels like a selfish act. You know, I don't know how deep of a dive you took into my website, but there are testimonials on there that, you know, people, it's life-changing stuff I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And if I had to go through it, which clearly I did because it happened, then at least I can help others get the education that I was forced to have by walking through that burning building without having to actually walk through the burning building. Yes. I was the, I was the pioneer, right? I led the charge, not by choice, but I led the charge and it's rewarding. It really is. It's rewarding to be able to watch people come back to me after I've worked with them for 
a week, a month, six months, a year. Some of my people that I've worked with have been multiple years and say, you changed my life. You saved my relationship with my kids. You saved my job. It's, it's a gift that I, I don't take lightly. Yeah, absolutely. I can 100% relate to that. I mean, it's taking that suffering and turning it into something meaningful and, and the learnings that we have gotten through that suffering and then giving it back to other people is the best reward, I, I think, that is, is out there. Invaluable. Invaluable. And selfish because I enjoy the accolades and I enjoy the, uh, the confirmation yeah. that what I went through not for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can totally understand that and totally relate to that on a deep level. And so we can give we can give back. So I want to talk about language and communication, because one of the things I see is, as a therapist, as a helper like you, is that a lot of times people are trying to get across what's going on internally to them or trying to move another person or have them see them or understand them. And it always seems to, not always, but a lot of times gets lost. And I think like your history, maybe some of my own history, not having the skills to do that, right? Like we stumble in, in trying to, to share ourselves or understand others. You know, it's interesting. I, I have this chart that I use in all my coaching and my speaking programs. And I can explain it, but visually they won't see it. But our, our brain, in my opinion, is essentially broken up into three quadrants, 25, 25, and 50%. 25% of what we talk about and what we think about and what we deliver to others and to ourselves, for that matter, is the stuff that we know that we know. Right. Right? That's the safe place. I know that I know that I'm talking to a guy named Dwayne. Right. I know that I know that I have an apple. I know all these things that I know that I know. Right. Then there's 25 percent of the stuff that we know that we don't know. I know that I don't know how to speak Mandarin Chinese or do open heart surgery. Right. 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 I have the moon hollow for that matter. Right. I, I know that I don't know a lot of things. And then there's this other 50 percent. And it's what you just spoke about. It's the stuff that we don't know that we don't know. Yeah. And we even know we don't know. It. Yes. Yeah. And in relationship to interpersonal communication skills, the reason I always bring this example up is because somewhere in our evolution, we have consistently lost the ability to communicate effectively interpersonally. It's getting worse and worse and worse. It's a downward spiral. However, it makes perfect sense because your parents didn't know it. You know why? Because their parents didn't know it. And it's not taught in college and it's not taught in high school, which is mind blowing to me, by the way, because I believe that this type of education is imperative to the evolution of humanity. But realistically, a lot of people, a huge high percentage of people do not know how to communicate. And I'm talking about fundamentals, not just related to eye contact, related to the tone of your voice, the melody that you speak, your hand gestures, your facial expressions, your body language, the thoughts that you're thinking that control your pheromones and your pupils and all these other yeah, things that yeah. 
you know, I always say to people, my dog knows more about nonverbal communication than any 20 people that I could gather together. Right. Because she doesn't have an agenda. She just understands. And today, technology has really, really damaged our ability to communicate effectively. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. I mean, most of the time when people come in for, for help with me or, or my company, you know, and they're couples and they're really trying to communicate and understand each other and they don't get it and they get caught in these feedback loops because of that invisible 50% that you talked about going on, they don't know what they don't know and they can't see it. Yeah, yeah. And, and at the same time, don't have the the verbal skills or the understanding that, you know, if I say this in this tone, it's probably not going to land very well. It's going to activate their nervous system and then they're going to get activated and then that'll activate me more. And like learning all of those, I guess you could call them like hard and soft skills. They're hard to put your finger on, but once you understand them, you're like, oh, that makes total sense. And I agree with you hundred well, percent. It should be the curtain back on the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yeah. And go, oh my God, now I get it. So, you know, one of the one of the fundamentals that I preach is melody. Melody, melody, melody. Second in line to eye contact. But in my keynotes, I always make a point of letting people know the delivery of your message is always paramount to the content. Yeah. The delivery. People listen to about 5% of your words. They're watching everything else. They're listening to the tone of your voice. They can adapt and identify with the words that you're saying because their brain is working. But realistically, they're really reacting to how are you delivering? Are you genuine? Are you believable? Are you trustworthy? Are you confident? You know, that's why CIA and FBI agents are so able to evaluate people because they can see these physical signs. Right. So realistically, this is the remote and this is the drone. If you can't effectively control the drone, then you can't effectively communicate. Right, because you're you're reacting, you're not you're not responding. Your 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 body's all over the place. I mean, I'll give I'll give you two quick examples about melody, which I think is so important because it's so off-putting. You know, I have so many clients of mine that come back to me after a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and they go, you have made it so I can't even listen to people speak. So one of the principles that I talk about is what I call the downturn. Most people, most people, and after I tell you this, you're going to pay attention to it and you're going to realize it's crazy. Most people speak on what I call the upturn, right? So here's most outgoing voicemails that you listen to when you call somebody's phone. Hi, this is Dwayne, and I can't get to my phone right now, but if you will please leave your name and number at the sound of the tone, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Now, every single phrase of that sentence was said on the upturn, which is positioned as a question. Can right. you do this? Can you help me? What's your name? Now watch. Hi, this is Dwayne. And I cannot get to my phone right now. But if you will please leave your name and number at the sound of the tone, I will get back to you as soon as possible. 
So the downturn, since we are old enough to understand English, is said in a way to exemplify a statement, a request, or a demand. Right, right, right? yeah. Do this right now. And for some reason, in our warped society, we have been conditioned to speak on the upturn, which instinctively, going back to that concept, does not create the same reaction as the downturn. Because if you think about anyone in a position of authority, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or a judge or a police officer or a religious figure, a priest or a rabbi, anyone that's in a position of authority who wants to make a statement or a request is going to use that downturn. Do this right now. Right, right. It's definitive. But yet, it's mind-boggling to me how many people speak on the upturn all the time. I'll do seminars. Oh, my God. And I'll say, okay, so stand up and tell me what's your name, where are you from, what do you do, and why are you here? 95% of the time. Hi, I'm Dwayne. And the reason we say that is because we're, un- we're uncomfortable. Right. Right. So you don't want to say, hi, I'm Dwayne. Hi, I'm Dwayne. Right. And I'm from Long Beach, California. And I'm a family therapist. And I'm here because I'd like to learn how to communicate better. Oh, my God. You nailed me. That's exactly how I would respond. (laughs) I know. Just just so you know, when we first, I can't help but analyze. So I, I, I can't. And so I evaluate everyone that I'm talking to. And yeah, you did speak on the upturn when we first met. Yeah. But if you notice, I always speak on the downturn. And it's not that I'm a, you know, a Marine drill sergeant. You have to do it every single time. For creative license, you can speak, watch, on the upturn just to kind of make a point, right? But realistically, if you practice this and you pay attention to it, it's game changing. Yeah, I could totally see that. I could see how switching that, I like that upturn, downturn, being able to see it, that has a completely different impact on who we're talking to. And to get our point across or to, you know, I'm I'm thinking about like clients who are maybe in a situation where they have to set a boundary with somebody. This is like really important to to be able to know that, to be able to do it in a way that, yeah, invaluable. It was me walking along the beach with a metal detector and finding a, a you know diamond ring. When I realized that this was problematic in interpersonal communication skills amongst 95% of the people that I encounter, I was like, this is insane. Can I show you one more? Yeah, I love it. I love this stuff. So, so again, we're not on video here, but I'm going to tell you this one. Maybe so you can you send see- those pictures of those and I can put them in the show notes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have two sentences here that are identical other than the accent marks of how the melody should go. Right. So let's see grandpa. Let's see grandpa. Right. The first one says, let's eat grandpa. Right. Who am I talking to? Oh God. I, I don't know if you're talking. Well, to- if I let me grandpa, who am I talking to? I guess you're talking to grandpa. That's what it seems like. Right, of course. That's the only person I could be talking to based on that melody, right? Right. Let's see, grandpa. That means one very specific thing. 
that means, come on, grandpa, let's go eat. Right. So it's a happy spot, right? And everything shifts. My brain shifts because the thought is different, which ultimately creates a different reaction in my face. My eyebrows raise. Let's eat, grandpa. When I go eat, right, I can almost not fake it. Right, right, right. Let's eat. The happy thought. So I'm giving off different pheromones. I'm delivering a very specific message. Watch. This one says, let's eat grandpa. Right. Now, all I did was change the note of two syllables in a three-word sentence. Not only did it change. Now, watch. Let's Let's eat grandpa. Who am I talking to now? I guess. Everybody but grandpa. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> wow. Right. Now I'm thinking a kind of devious thought, so it changes my facial expressions. It changes the way I'm thinking, which ultimately, in the remote, changes the drone. Right. It's like you're communicating completely two different things. Same same exact words. In a three-word sentence. With just changing the note, the melody. Yeah, this goes deep. Right, right. And, and um, I, you know, as you're saying that, I'm also thinking about what you said in there, too, is that some of those reactions, when you say it like in the first way, let's eat, Grandpa, you're, you can't help but move your face, you can't help but move your body up, upward, at least I am, where it's like you have a whole different nonverbal communication that goes along with it. Nonverbal is way more important than verbal. Right. Listen, I have what I call a proverbial backpack of a hundred million words and phrases, part of which is involved in my ability to pause when I need to, so that I can catch up to myself or allow you to catch up to me. Right. But realistically, you very rarely will hear me go, uh, um, hmm, and think about what I need to say next, because I have this backpack that allows me to think five to 10 words ahead of whatever I'm about to say. That's number one. And number two, I'm also very visual. So all I do is think about an idea. I create a visual in my brain of what I want to describe. And then I just describe it. So one of my exercises with my clients is describe the room, right? I'm looking around your room right now. There's literally an unlimited amount of things that you could describe about the room that you're in. From the temperature to the atmosphere to the color to, I mean, literally, I'm in my apartment right now, and I could spend the next two hours describing the room. And so that's how you deal with that issue of being able to communicate and connect with people verbally and psychologically by just thinking ahead, thinking about what are you trying to explain and then just describing that. Right. I mean, like I said, this this goes this this list. Do you ever go to the circus and see the guy that spins ten plates? Right. Yeah. 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 Communication is not an easy thing, especially if you're uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. The fundamentals, right? And then and then I go into a whole concept. The most important part of my lost languages program is self talk. Yeah. Self talk. How you talk to yourself. You know, have you ever said to yourself, oh, I'm such an idiot? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You should know that that is as potent and as powerful and as potentially damaging 
as someone you love and respect telling you that you are such an idiot. Yeah, no. Oh, totally. Very cautious. And this circles back to the conversation about addiction and self-deprecation. Right. And just understanding what you tell yourself is as painful to you as what somebody else would tell you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, And being able to work on that self-compassion, I mean, that's definitely one thing that I've had to put a lot of time into when I think anybody, not anybody, I guess, I'm generalizing, but, you know, when people go through trauma and, and stuff, there tends to be some negative self-talk in there and learning to be more self-compassionate, shift the language to more self-compassionate language and being intentional about how we use language which is crucial for ourselves, for our relationship with ourselves, and then for our relationship with others who are meaningful in our life. Language, but let's be clear, language meaning verbal and nonverbal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even our own, how we sit, how we... Everything, everything. Do you ever sit in front of somebody and they're shaking their leg the entire time? Yep. Now, you might not conscientiously notice that, but subconsciously, that's going to give you a nervous feeling. This person is nervous. You might not even consciously say that to yourself, but your instinctive reaction is going to be something's uneasy here, right? So how we train ourselves to react to situations is going to effectively create a different reaction from our audience. Yeah. So I, I always I love this example. So you go to a comedy show. And the comedian on the stage is just falling apart. And you hear silence in the audience, or you hear booze, or you hear conversation. And the comedian goes like this. Shrinks down. And they are just losing it. Yeah. What does the audience do? The I audience think, goes. They start to shrink down, too. I mean, that was my, no, my they're reaction. Identifying, they're identifying with the person on stage feeling so uncomfortable and they're putting themselves in that mental place of, oh my God, ugh, this is painful, right? Now right. watch, same comedian, same situation, and they are not killing it. Same reaction from the audience, meaning chitter chatter, booze, silence, crickets, whatever. But that comedian says, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm going back to Starbucks tomorrow, like makes fun of themselves and is totally comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. What's the reaction from the audience? They're going to, they're going to embrace, they're going to, they're going to stand up with him, so to usually, speak. Exactly. Usually it's this. Woo! Right? Right. Because I, in that moment, want to be you. Right. I want to be that comfortable in my skin to allow myself the ability to be ready. Here's the drum roll word, vulnerable, authentic, genuine, real, right. believable. Right. And so, you know, I keep, I want to keep circling back to your, your topic. This is something that people who are struggling with addiction suffer from. Absolutely. Yeah. Not being able to expose themselves and communicate authentically and be real, which is why I feel like this program is so valuable for people that are exiting, let's say, rehab facilities for alcohol or drugs, 
because now they have to go back out into the world and be okay with themselves. Yeah. And be okay with how others feel about them. Yeah. So my objective is to sit down with people that are exiting these, you know, in the beginning, they're focused on other things. But at the tail end, if they've been there for X amount of months, now it's time to actually re-emerge as the person that you want to be. And a lot of that, 90% of that has to do with how effectively are you going to communicate your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions to those around you, including work-related situations and personal and family situations. It, it makes me, while you're talking, it makes me think about like, you know, I'm, I'm imagining a person who, you know, you're in recovery and maybe you're in the beginning stages of recovery and you're still working on your own self-compassion and confidence and, you know, you're going out into the world and you you have to set boundaries, yet you're also dealing with this you know, maybe you have some internalized fear, maybe you're a little insecure, you know, all of that. And you want to communicate something, but you don't have the skills. So you fall back into that old, old kind of language that, that gets, keeps you stuck, if that makes sense. And I, and I picture like, you can learn how to be your authentic self and express your authentic self confidently. Like it's, it's also a skill to be able to do that. Of course, all skills. Listen, it's just like anything that we work toward to become an expert at, right? They say 10,000 hours, right? How do I effectively communicate in the same way that I would learn how to play basketball or learn how to be a better singer or learn how to deal with the stock market? You have to learn these hard skills first so that you have a leg up when you go into a scenario where if all that you have to rely on are your hard skills, then that's enough to fall back on and say, okay, I can at least do these things in this way, physically, verbally, vocally. And then the mental part of it is always the last one, you know? Yeah. It's always the last one. How do I really, once I learn these skills, how do I really apply them to my life? I can talk on the downturn, right? I can use effective melody. I can force myself to make eye contact, even though that's a challenging one. You know, I have what I call easy eye contact, but eye contact can totally can relate to a million emotions, hate, anger, fear, love, creepiness, sexuality, passion, aloofness, on and on and on. Right. But if you can just control these muscles, you have a leg up. Absolutely. I go back. I keep thinking, I, I love this stuff too. So we could, we could talk about this forever, but I, I'm thinking yeah. like a lot of times people get stuck where, and I've had, to, I've had to learn this too. It's like, I don't feel confident. So I, I have to wait to feel confident to express myself confidently. Right. And I like to like flip those, right? Like you can learn how to express yourself confidently, even if you don't feel confident in the moment. Dwayne, you, you just touched on something that is like something I'm really proud of that I, that I came up with on my own. And it's not about how you feel. Yeah. It's about how you feel about how you feel. Right. And so I came up with this concept of how do, you, how do I feel about how I feel, right? So let's just say I'm going into a really 
big sales meeting. I know this is the game changer. I have to get this. I have to perform. I have to produce. I have to be the man, right? So if I'm walking into that door and I'm nervous, which I'm going to feel anyway, because you can't control how you feel, but you can control how you feel about how you feel. So think about this. I'm nervous. Now, what if I say, well, I'm nervous because I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the fact that I'm actually nervous. I shouldn't be nervous right now, but I can't control that. Right. So I'm nervous because I'm nervous. I'm nervous about being nervous. Then I'm nervous squared. Then I'm exponentially nervous. And that takes away from my ability to get the outcome that I'm looking for. But if I stop and I step outside of the equation for a split second and I go, wait a second, this is a big meeting and I am nervous. And you know what? I should be nervous because anybody in my shoes would be nervous right now. So you're not nervous about being nervous. You're okay with being nervous. Why? Because that's where you should be. Yeah. And so what I have found is that the overriding thought becomes, I'm okay with where I am. And all of a sudden, being nervous gets diluted. Yep. And it works with every emotion. You know, the, the reason I developed this concept was I, I was on the road one day and some guy cut me off and I honked at him and he flipped me off. And then I pulled up next to him and I was like, what, 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 what? He's like, you know, F you, this, that, and the other. And, and then he pulled up in front of me, he's brake checking me. And I was just like, Rah! right? I'm angry. If I'm angry about the fact that I let this guy get me angry, then I'm just angrier. Now he ruined my day, right? Yep. I'm pissed that I allowed this guy to get me angry. I'm angry about being angry. As opposed to, wait a sec. This guy's a jerk. I'm angry, but I'm okay with being angry because I should be angry right now because he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, I started laughing at myself. And immediately, the thought of being angry went away. Yeah. And I said, wait, I think I'm onto something. Totally. That, you know, how you feel about how you feel. And then how you talk to yourself about that feeling too, like it all comes together to create this virtuous kind of feedback cycle that downregulates those emotions and then puts you in a space where you can be your authentic self. You can be who you want to be. You can live to your values and not just your emotions. Well, and you can, you can use this concept in literally every situation, whether you're in business or you're in your personal life or you're dating or you're dealing with your kids, you know, Richard Branson has a great quote. There's another bus coming in 10 minutes. What's going on right now is not really that important. You know, when I teach public speakers and they say, well, I'm afraid of getting laughed at. I'm afraid of looking stupid. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of not being credible. So what's the difference? Unless a house is going to fall on your head or you're going to burst into flames, if things don't work out in an instant, what is the difference? It's not going to affect what happens to you two days from now. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you can just let 
stuff roll off your shoulders. I mean, look, public speaking is one of the most feared things on planet Earth over death. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't I don't fall into that category. I enjoy being in front of an audience because I know that what I'm speaking about is credible and viable and, and valuable. And so it's hard for me to relate to why people would be afraid of being rejected when they have to be in front of an audience because what's the worst that can happen to you other than you feeling bad about yourself, which is something that we've already discussed, we can control. Right. Absolutely. Case in point, right? Literally, if you can control your attitude about what other people think, then you win. You know, one woman said, oh, well, you're afraid of being laughed at. And in, I don't know if you watched my video or not, uh, my keynote video, but at the end of my first Google speech, I said, get laughed at. Do things to condition yourself to be intentionally laughed at. Because once you can get comfortable being laughed at, then nobody can get to you. Yeah, it doesn't bother you. You realize it's, it's, it's not the house falling on your head. You can brush it off. Yeah. But we in this society, especially with, you know, as it relates to addiction, which I've been, you know, a victim of, we place so much stock in what other people think about us that we start to hide. Yeah. We start to avoid. We start to stay away because we don't want to face the potential judgment that we receive from other people. Yeah. And that's just not just addicts, that's humans. Yeah. In general. And then and then we limit ourselves, we limit our possibilities, we limit all the things we can do because of those fears that really you know, it's not a house dropping on your head. When we're in the worst phase of human history probably in the last century. I mean, People are so stressed out. People are so afraid of judgment. People are so tentative as it relates to saying anything these days because of the ramifications, because we're in this cancel culture society. Right. That if you right. say the wrong thing or you do the wrong thing, you're going to get ostracized. You're going to get rejected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's just not the reality of it, though. Yeah. If we can get back to our basics and start talking to each other as humans. I think we're going to be in a much better situation. And look, I know I can't change the world, but I can stand on a soapbox and help my circle of influence. Right. Right. Like the ripple effect. I can teach someone how to communicate more effectively with their coworkers or their family. And then those people can potentially ripple out and start this process of just communicating more effectively as humans. Yeah. Otherwise, I think this is a very slippery slope. Yep. And I think that's why your work is so important that you're doing, because at the root of so much of this is being able to communicate and connect with our fellow human beings in a way that creates a nurturing environment where we all grow, we all learn, we face difficult problems together, we accept responsibility for our parts, and we move forward to be, to be better. Yeah, and also communicating, you know, with ourselves yeah. more effectively, which I struggle with. All By the way, just so you know, I'm not perfect at this. Every time I talk about this, like now, every time I coach somebody, every time I do a keynote or a seminar or a training session, I'm actually coaching myself. Yes. Because it really is a muscle. It, you can't, you know, 
You can't work out for a week and be in shape for two years. You have to consistently work at this. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I, I think a lot of times we can listen to podcasts like this and, and we can talk about it. But as human beings, we're, we're, we're subject to the same. We're yeah, we're subject to the yeah. same things. And we, we all have to, to practice. Nobody walks out of this and just does it perfectly. But you get better at it and you get the skills that you need as you practice and you get better and it makes it easier. And it's not as, as hard, but we all have to work at it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I listen, I wish for the world that we can get back to the basics of how we interact with and communicate with one another, because I truly believe we have lost an enormous amount of substance. Yeah. You know, I, I you, you, you just cannot have, an effective, viable communication over text. Yeah. And I have dealt with, you know, women that I've dated in the past that want to have an entire conversation or an argument for that matter over text. Just, you can't do it. How can you be real? You, you just, uh, my belief, you just can't, uh, you, you know, these, these social media platforms and stuff that is all just text-based communication misses, you know, 90% of the conversation and we project onto these texts whatever we're feeling anyway, because that's what the brain does. So half the time we're misinterpreting them, uh, what people are saying. So it doesn't even doesn't even work. I, I agree with you, and we have to find a better way. Yeah, for me, you know, dialing it down all the way is just really understanding we've lost the ability to effectively communicate our thoughts and emotions verbally, vocally, physically. You know, and if something doesn't change, at least on a sh on a small level, this is where it's headed. Yeah, Abs absolutely. And I think that's why your work is so important. So we're we're running on our time. So one yeah. of, <laughs> one of the things that I, I love to ask every guest as we end the interview is that if anybody is out there struggling in some ways, maybe with communications and connecting, what would be the one thing? you'd want to tell him if you could only tell him one thing what would you say to him well i'll tell you two things i can, all right, I can all right. i'll take two I'll, I'll, I'll say three things but all right three we'll go to three our, that's fine our contact is definitely paramount like literally go out into the world tomorrow and when you go to the supermarket use it as an exercise it's like going to the gym and working out look the cashier in their eyes and try and make a connection how's your day going what time are you off you know just some type of connection, but use eye contact for what it's there for, making a connection, okay? And then I would also really pay attention to that downturn, which is on my website, by the way. I have a, a video that you can sign up for these three top skills in terms of interactive interpersonal communication skills. Just using the downturn, you'll see it, it makes a huge difference. And then the most important thing, speaking to your question, is have a different conversation with yourself about who you are, where you are, how you are, what you are, why you are, thinking, feeling, acting the way you do. Awesome. I mean, it, it's, it's the, most value, the most valuable conversations that we will ever have with anyone in our lives are the conversations that we have with ourselves. Well said people want more information how can they find you so my website is www.thepersuasivelion.com 
P-E-R-S-U-A-S-I-V-E. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, and we're putting together a TikTok channel, but I'm available for keynotes, private coaching, seminar speaking, and it's really powerful stuff, and I, I love it. So yeah, anyone that wants to check out my website, www.thepersuasivelion.com, there's a lot of information on there. There's testimonials, there's my bio, and uh, a lot of podcasts that I've done. And I'll, I'll put all the links at theaddictedmind.com and hopefully those, uh, we don't have video on this. I should record, start recording video, but we'll put the, uh, you held up those, those sheets that I think would be so helpful for people to see. So if you just send me those, I'll, I'll throw those on the show notes too. And then you can also give me all of those links so people can, can get that information. Brett, I just really appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate you coming on to The Addicted Mind. I appreciate the time, man. This is great. I, I love these conversations. This is awesome. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast, all the show notes and all the other stuff that we mentioned in the episode will be at the addictedmind.com under the episode link. So you could check that out there. And don't forget, if the Addicted Mind podcast is valuable to you, please support us by writing a review in iTunes or sharing the podcast with a friend and join our online community on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.